Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming up on this week's Gagan Pressing, Manu and Bryce are joined by German football expert Stefan Bianchowski. Just what will Sammy Kadira add to Hertha Berlin? Plus, Silas Wamengatuka shows the world how goals are scored. And Stefan gives us his full insight into Frimpong's move to Leverkusen. That and much more coming up in the next 45 minutes on Gagan Pressing, the Bundesliga podcast. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is Football Grad creator, Manuel Veth. Manu, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Bryce. I'm really excited for this podcast this week because uh, sadly Chris can't join us, but we brought in a really special guest and I'm really excited to talk to him about everything for Bundesliga this week. So yeah, really doing really well. I'm really excited for this pod. Yes, so as Manu has just said, Chris Williams will not be with us this week. Hopefully we'll get him back soon. But in the meantime, we've rolled in a very special guest. Uh, we've got freelance football writer Stefan Biankowski. Uh, Stefan, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Um, it, it's great to finally get you on the podcast. Uh, are you enjoying the Bundesliga season so far? Yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, I, I currently have Chris's very large shoes to hand and I'll do my best to fill them throughout the episode, but I can only offer my best and we'll see how we go on. <laughs> You will be absolutely fine. Don't worry. We're, we're sure of that. Right, guys. Well, I suppose we've got a lot of topics uh, on the sheet here, so we might as well jump right into it. So match day 19 has just concluded. Let's start with the big news coming out of the capital with the transfer of Sami Kadira going to Hertha Berlin. Manu, um, what exactly does a 33-year-old Sami Kadira offer Hertha Berlin in return to the Bundesliga? Well, you're asking a very loaded question here, Bryce, um, because it is a good question. What are Hertha doing with a 33-year-old Sami Kadira after having signed um, every mid- midfielder available um, last summer? Right? They brought in Toussaint, they brought in uh, Gundizo from Arsenal. Um, they have signed Askazibar Bar already, and they were they were very busy today trying to also bring in Milod Rashica. That deal has apparently fallen through. But yeah, Sami Kadira is is an interesting one. He returns to the Bundesliga after after ten years abroad. Real Madrid, of course, and Juventus uh, had a very successful career with the national team as well, world champion in 2014. Now he's apparently back. Um, from what we're hearing at Transfermarkt, it's just a medical at this point, and then he's going to sign. And then it's it's an interesting one for me because. I don't. I don't think that position in particular was a trouble zone for them. But maybe, and I'm curious what you think about this, Stefan. But maybe it's just to bring in some leadership. Yeah, the way I look at this on paper, that strikes me as the only real um, suggestion to me. It. I'm struggling to get excited about this. To be perfectly honest with you, I have seen some people suggest that he's coming in as you know a proven winner. Uh, a player who's done at the very top, a player who proved himself in the Bundesliga before going even higher. Um, and, I, and I can completely understand that sentiment. But um, 
at the end of the day, as you said, you know, he's a player who's quite old. Um, he's joining a team who aren't particularly lacking in central midfielders, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I think they have more other problem areas that need more addressing. Um, and it's, I, I don't want to be too harsh on Kadira here, but I don't know if you maybe agree with this, Manu, Manu but he, he's, he's a player who's kind of been courting himself out in the German media for maybe the last five or six months now. He's been very open about the idea of moving to any club, really. Um, so it's it's not as if um, you know Hertha have convinced him to give up what he's doing and to come join their project. It seems as though they've really just you know jumped on the transfer market, seen who's available, and thought, yeah, okay, Sammy, come join us. Um, it, I could be wrong. Uh, I hope I'm wrong because he's you know he's a very good player on his on his day, but um, it, it it doesn't strike me as the most inspirational signing. No, not not really. It's and when you, I mean, I've already said and you addressed it as well. So many midfielders already available. Where do you put him? I mean, there, there's been a bit of a strange rumor that um, Santiago Ascasiba could be going back to Argentina to join Boca Juniors, which I I can't really see either because you don't really make that step back to Argentina at that age, right? That means someone else will have have to be dropped, and and you you're quite right. I could have understood. Um, I do understand why they went after Milot Rashica, Rashica from Werder. I think that would have been a player who they could have used, um, and despite the players that they already have, but like having that extra option, right? And also, I think this is just me. I think with Hertha, the problem isn't actually the the players that they have. It's more the way they've been utilized in many ways. It's not really the lack of talent here. It's the the way the talent was assembled, it seems like there's a lot of good players that all offer a similar thing and you, they haven't really found a way to get that horsepower on the field. I mean, Bruno Labbadia struggled, now Paul Dardai is in and um, he's, he's a very defensive-minded coach, right? And very structured coach. You're not going to see very much flashy stuff from him. But I kind of get the sense that they, they're just signing names now. It's kind of like football manager in a little bit. It's like, oh, who's available? Oh, Sami Kadir, he was good. Let's bring him in and see. What, hopefully it works out. Maybe not. But it there doesn't seem to be much structure to this. Yeah, well, this is that they're sitting down in, well, the same amount of points as Armenian Bienefeld. Only 17 points. Is, it's been a pretty terrible season for them so far. Uh, one point out of the last 15 available as well. Stefan, uh, we talked about you of them having lots of midfielders, uh, Kadira coming in, them being what almost looks a little bit desperate in the transfer market. But, but what it, what do you think the club actually needs to, to stabilise it? I mean, can you possibly figure out where it's going wrong for them? If I had the answer to that question, I think I'd win a very handsome wage in Berlin at the moment. Uh, but, you know, I think the re-signing of Pal Dardai, uh, I don't even know if it technically counts as a re-signing if you're still at the club, but the promotion, I suppose, or the re-promotion, since this is kind of something he's done before, strikes me as, you know, that's just kind of stable the ship at this point. Um, in his first press conference, he, um, he wasn't really willing to consider the thought of getting dragged into a relegation race. Um, and I think that maybe, you know, maybe that was just a kind of witty response to a journalist, but I think that's probably his remit, to be perfectly honest with you, between now and the end of the season. Uh, he's going to be brought in not really to kind of um, be the face of this new project at the club. Um, I think they'll obviously have someone else in mind in the summer, um, certainly a more high-profile coach. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's a weird one because, you know, as Manu says there, there's plenty of um, talent in this team. There's a lot of money that's been spent on it. 
Um, you know, Sammy Kadira aside, there's actually been some some smart signings as well. But it, I, I kind of made, I actually made a kind of similar point the manager just made at a moment there that it kind of strikes me as when someone is playing football manager and they just kind of tick that little box for the sugar daddy option uh, at their favourite club and they suddenly have, you know, 40, 50 million to spend but they don't actually know what to do with it. Um, I think Hertha would get much further, far quicker um, if they took maybe a tenth of that budget they've got for players and just did spend it on bringing in a fantastic coach who could just get the better of this team because with Hertha Berlin, you want to be in a situation where the sum is greater than the parts when at the moment it's kind of the opposite way around. They've got a lot of players who can can do a decent job on its day, but they don't play like a team. Um, I thought Pal Dardai was a great coach for them back in the day. Um, I'm not mistaken, when he kind of stepped down, I was a wee bit surprised because I thought he was in a perfectly good job keeping them in the Bundesliga, you know, a mid-table Bundesliga side. Uh, I know that, I know obviously the club have higher ambitions in that, but they could certainly do worse than him at this moment in time. And if he can kind of just stable the ship, keep them far, keep uh, the relegation places at arm's length, then he might help them actually build a decent platform so that the new manager who comes in in the summer can say, okay, I actually know how a lot of these guys play because the team put a bit of form together between January and the end of the season. And that, and, and, and perhaps it, that doesn't really... Um, it doesn't sound very sexy or it doesn't sound like perhaps what the you know the owners had in mind when they invested so much money in Hertha, uh, but it might do a lot of good between now and the end of the season. It might do the next manager who comes in for next season a lot of good when he can look back and see uh, which players performed and which players didn't under Aldardai. And Manu, you know, as we mentioned there, you're their, their fourth from bottom. Uh, relegation, is that a possibility for Hertha Berlin? I mean, the, the next three fixtures they have aren't looking good. They've got, you know, champions Bayern Munich, they've got Stuttgart, they've got RB Leipzig. It, it's a hard run and things aren't going to get much easier for them. Yeah, you're never too big to go down, right? I think this is just the number one lecture that, that you have to understand, especially in the Bundesliga where there's only 18 teams. You know, the the um, the fall is much easier to happen. Look at Hamburg, look at Schalke. But I think what kind of rescues them this year a little bit is the fact that they, there is three teams below them that are just way worse. And that's I mean, Schalke for me are gone. Mines are probably gone as well. And that really only leaves that relegation playoff spot. And why I like what Armenia is doing, I just can't see them really finishing above 16th. And I think that's kind of like a saving grace. And not just for Hertha. I mean, there's a few other teams down there, right? With Werder Bremen, for example, that are probably saying, okay, well, this season is not going well for us, but we might be just okay because we have two teams at the very bottom that are just so much worse than anyone else that will probably be okay. Hill, as you said, Manu, you know, you're never too big to go down, eh? But guys, let's talk about a team with a completely different fortunes in Antrag Frankfurt. Uh, after a 3-1 victory over Hertha, as Stefan, they're, they're up to fourth and they seem to be scoring for fun. Yeah, this has kind of been a really interesting um, turnaround for Frankfurt, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, in their last five games, they've picked up more points than uh, Bayern Munich. They've got Jovic back. Uh, you know, things seem... It's, it's like the good old days all over again for the Eagles. Um, and I've just been thoroughly impressed with them, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I think we'll kind of talk, go on to talk about Andreas Silva in a moment, but um, he's thoroughly impressed me a huge amount. And I find it really interesting that... Um, over the last kind of five or six weeks, we've seen a lot of the teams kind of uh, that we, we were hoping would be able to challenge Bayern 
Uh, we've seen them kind of slip up and pick up a lot of inconsistency. And although the kind of main narrative has been how Bayern have kind of just pulled away from the rest of the pack in the Bundesliga, another narrative as well is that Frankfurt have just kind of moved up step by step by step. Uh, Wolfsburg as well, to an extent, have done this as well. Um, and they've, suddenly they've just kind of moved into that top four spot. And I think they just kind of do a really good job of illustrating how um, valuable some consistency is in this league. Um, as silly as perhaps as simple as that sounds, uh, you know, it's just it's just the kind of thing that Leverkusen, Dortmund, even Gladbach just seem to completely lack this season. Uh, and just a bit of consistency and some solid run of results can really push you straight up the top of that league. Um, and I think it'd be fantastic if they could get top four because I think they probably have been within the, probably the best four or five teams in a division. Um, and that's, I mean, at this moment in time, I'd say they're far more deserving of it than team like Dortmund, for example. Um, so, yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed. They've got a lot of great players. Um, and I think they're kind of showing the teams around them in that kind of chasing pack um, just how valuable consistency is in the Bundesliga. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Silva there. And Manu, you know, it's now 16 goals for Andre Silva. And you're, the question is, is he the best striker in the league that doesn't have a name, Robert, and plays in? Munich. Yeah, I mean, 16 goals now, right? It's a, it's a fantastic output. And I, I think he is very much the face of what's going on in Frankfurt. But um, it's it's an interesting one altogether because, I mean, Stefan is quite right. I think they are on, on the cusp of something great. Um, I did an, an article for Forbes on the, the money league and um, the Bundesliga having done quite well in comparison to most other European leagues because they made that jump and started early, right? And I think for it was really interesting to see that Frankfurt are finally in the top 20 of wealthiest clubs in Europe. And they have done this, you know, without playing Champions League football yet. And I think yet is a, is a big part here. They have worked consistently under Freddy Bobic, the sporting director. He has done a fantastic job putting the play, putting two players together, knowing when to sell players at the right time. Um, he's, you know, making money off transfers identifying new players to come in and sort of, you know, fill the, the spots, accepting that there might be a season where you have to take a step back. And that was last year, right? Knowing that that will lead to something bigger. And I think Frankfurt are on the cusp of becoming a big team in, in this league. And they have been for a while and they have been doing it uh, very meticulously, working very hard and a consistency. Yes, they were consistent this season, but they also under Adi Hütter, they don't make many coaching changes, right? So I think um, it's just a great example that they were able to find someone like Andre Silva and get the best out of him. And I think that says everything that you need to know about this club at the moment. I could just quickly jump in there, Bryce. The only thing I'd really add to that is um, when I look around Europe and look at the deals that have been made uh, in the January window, um, I mean, getting Luka Jovic back on loan must be up there as possibly one of the best signings in this window across the whole continent. Uh, you know, it, there was probably some concerns about whether he was fit enough, uh, you know, whether he still had the same kind of incentive to kind of do well after really sitting on the bench for so long, if, if he's even lucky to get on the bench for Real Madrid. But he's hit the ground running and he's almost really galvanised the team. I kind of ran the numbers last night for clocking off Twitter and I think Frankfurt scored a goal every 22 minutes since he returned to the club or something crazy like that um, 
And another interesting thing as well that Andre Silva, who would also count as you know sign of the season technically as well, is that um, he's actually second only to Lewandowski for shots this season, and he's hit 17 more shots than Erling Haaland has. Um, now he's actually played four more games, so the, take that into account. But he's also averaging more shots per game than Haaland, which just sounds crazy to me that. Frankfurt have a striker who's not only outscoring Erling Haaland, but he's actually hit more shots. So I think that not only shows how well Silva's doing, but also perhaps shows the kind of issues and the trouble that Dortmund have had this season. Um, and obviously, I mean, Haaland's had a great season, don't get me wrong, but the fact that um, Silva's not only outscoring him, but he also seems to be doing better per game than him as well suggests that uh, you know Silva's having a great season and as a result, so are Frankfurt. Yes, Stefan, I couldn't agree more. I think the stats you are extremely impressive, and Jovic's return is a hell of a signing. It's 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 going to be exciting times, I think, for Eintracht fans uh, for the rest of the season. But uh, speaking of inform attackers, we should probably touch on this man. Silas Wamangituka. He's got company, but he might go alone. Wamangituka! Magnificent! Yes, that's right. Stuttgart's Wamangituka has scored again. And what a goal that was on Friday night, Manu. This guy's got a lot of talent. I love that goal. I think it's probably the goal of the match day. And it's probably, you know, going to be the goal of the month in Germany. And um, he's that's that was number 11 and 18 Bundesliga games for Silas Wamangituka. Impressed I got the name there right in one go. Um, that's that's not an easy one, but he, he, <laughs> I love this goal for one particular reason. And I was I was talking to you guys in in our game pressing chat right during this game. And I said you could just tell the goal was coming throughout the entire ninety minutes because he worked his socks off, and it was almost like at that moment when he picked up the ball in his own half, you could just tell that 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 ball is going to go in because. He puts in that work rate, which is just unbelievable. And I, I love this player. I think he is going to be a megastar in a few years. And um, for Stuttgart to sign him for, at the time, you know, 8 million euros, it was a big deal for a Bundesliga two side at the time. But they're going to get a multitude of that money back for him. And yeah, I, I just loved it. I, I think we're going to chat about this goal for years to come. And Stefan, how impressed have you been with uh, Stuttgart this season? I think they've been fantastic. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting to watch how they kind of um, go about their season. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, actually, I think this is possibly, was it their first home win of the season, if I'm not mistaken? I might I might be wrong there. Uh, it was actually, yeah, which is just crazy when you think about it. Um, not only in general, because, you know, teams should usually be better than league, but in a in a period when there's actually no fans in the stadium, I just find it remarkable that these things still count. But, um, you know, they've obviously built a very good squad here at Stuttgart. Um, the kind of vultures are almost kind of circling. Actually, vultures are on work, because so that suggests they're in trouble. Uh, but, you know, the, there's already kind of eager eyes looking across the continent, uh, the, the squad that has been built here. Um, you know, obviously, one week, Juan Mangituka, there we go, I did it myself. Uh, he's the main one. Gonzalez is another one. Um, but there's obviously these kind of fears about whether this team would get picked apart at the end of the season. But, you know, I think they're actually done quite well to tie both of these players in particular down to contracts. I think they're both on contracts till 2024. Uh, I think the club have confirmed that they haven't got any kind of, uh, you know, minimum fee release clauses uh, in place. And, you know, I think actually sporting director Sven Mislintat came out and spoke about it a few weeks ago, 
you know, with concern to, I think it was actually with speculation when Gonzalez, uh, and he was very honest. He said, look, these guys are on long-term contracts. They're happy where they are. But if we get the kind of crazy offers from the Premier League, then we'll obviously take them into account. And I just think that's a kind of very Bundesliga way to approach it. And I think that's the right way to approach it. Stuttgart have their ducks in a row. Uh, they're enjoying the squad they've got. They're fully aware of the fact that they're probably not going to hang on to a bunch of these stars right now. Um, but when and if these offers do come in, they'll make a lot of money off it and they'll just continue going with it. Uh, and I think the club deserve a lot of credit for being in that position. I just want to add to that real quick, Bryce. I get the sense that Miss Lintat has very much built the squad knowing that they're going to get transfer fees, right? And has done it previously. This this was the architect of the original Dortmund squad under Klopp and then, you know, identifying talents for for, for Dortmund. And I feel like they're going about it the very same way in Stuttgart now with Hitzelsberger, who I really like. And, you know, he's he today the news was that, of course, Hitzelsberger is no longer running for president. They they seem to have um, quietened down that noise that was going on in the background in the club, which is very good news for Stuttgart. But I think they're really doing a good job. And I think they very much know that they will lose some of these players. And I think from what you hear and the talent that they've sort of identified as potentially coming in once the current crop is leaving, I think they've got a plan. And that's something that that hasn't happened in Stuttgart in a while. Yeah, they've definitely been one of the surprise packages the Bundesliga season and uh, a joy to watch a lot of the time as well. Guys, let's talk um, about uh, another fixture. Probably the fixture that stood out uh, going into the weekend was uh, second versus third, RB Leipzig versus Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Leipzig coming away 1-0 victors. Um, Stefan, was this a tense tactical affair or was it just a bit dull? <laughs> well, that's the that's a million dollar question, isn't it? I think afterwards on Twitter, I was saying if I was to be polite, I would call it a tactical stalemate. Um, but it it did come across as quite stale, um, and the numbers reflect that. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I was looking back through Leverkusen's attacking stats in particular because they started the game without any strikers, which, as you could imagine, um, goes some ways to alleviating any hope of attacking play throughout the match. Um, but they had uh, an XG of just 0.5, which is actually the third worst uh, in the league this season. And it's the worst since their defeat to Bayern just at the end of December. Um, so, you know, this is obviously this is obviously a game that, you know, RB Leipzig... Um, hoping to win. I thought tactically they did a really good job of kind of keeping Leverkusen at bay. But I also think kind of Leverkusen maybe shot themselves in the foot to an extent with the kind of formation they put out. It looked like they kind of lacked a you know a, a focal point up front. Um for example, maybe if you want to go back to a Dortmund game, I thought they did a really good job of having an actual bona fide number nine to play off of obviously Diaby, Bailey are the, the main attacking players, but even players like Florian Virch has done a great job of playing like a sort of number 10 role and playing off the striker. That None of that was really uh, the case against Leipzig. And as we know, Leipzig have a fantastic defensive record. Uh, and I thought they just did a pretty good job of uh, closing them down. Um, so, you know, no strikers, uh, one of the worst attacking displays from Leverkusen this season. Uh, and it took a really great goal from Leipzig to actually win the game. But it was, it was, it, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it was just a very dull game. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you were honest. Um, 
Manu, uh, if we look at the table, uh, we've got uh, Bayern Munich on 45 points in second. We've got RB Leipzig with uh, 38. Uh, you do, does this victory keep some type of uh, title challenge, you know, hope still alive? Or are we kind of kidding ourselves? Well, first of all, I was glad this was not the 6.30 West Coast uh, kickoff um, because I would have been going straight back to sleep because I thought it was very dull. Um, but yeah, I, I think Leipzig did what they had to do and got the result that they needed. And I think Nagelsmann had to, had it spot on um, in this game. And unfortunately, sometimes having it spot on means that games aren't great to watch because, you know, your team will do just what they need to do. Is there still a little bit of a title challenge? It's a, it's a good question. In my books, it's been Leipzig. Leipzig has been Bayern's only competitor for some time uh, this season because Dortmund just don't have the consistency. You know, that gets us back to that topic. And I do think that Leipzig still have a chance. It's not a big one, but I do think they still have a chance because Bayern are going to play uh, in the in the FIFA Club World Cup, right? There's these um, the, the COVID stories that are coming out of Munich. I'm going to touch on them in a, in a few moments. And I do think that Bayern are still going to drop points. I'm 100% convinced of that, that they're going to not win every game and from here to the end of the season. The question, though, is will Leipzig benefit or profit from that? Will they actually go to go and beat Bayern, maybe, you know, and take points directly from them? That would reduce it to four. Will they beat the likes of Dortmund, right? Will they have the consistency to benefit when Bayern drop points? And that is really the main question, and that's what it's going to come down to, whether we're going to have an interesting challenge all the way to the end or if Bayern are going to walk away with it. Stefan, you you mentioned uh, with uh, Leverkusen them setting up without you know an out and out striker on the field, but even if we look beyond that uh, and the recent form, um, apart from the win over Dortmund, they've, they've been very poor recently. Their their run of form is is very bad um, ever since losing to to Bayern Munich uh, on the nineteenth of December. But what exactly is the fault for this? You can we pinpoint why this has happened? It's a good question. Um, you're right. It, it, it seems as though that Bayern Munich game really knocked the stuffing out of them, which, you know, if any listeners can, rem- can remember back to that game, you can almost understand why it would be a psychological blow. Um, you know, the kind of brain fart from Jonathan Tan in the last minute of the game to kind of give Bayern the, all three points, you could just kind of imagine that being reenacted in like a future documentary about the season and all the former players looking back on that moment thinking, oh, that was when we kind of drop their heads um, and it certainly looks to be the case um, going forward in kind of typical Bundesliga fashion though they kind of decided to show up when Dortmund came along just to make sure they, they also kind of mucked up their season or their title aspirations as well um, but you know I think it, 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 I'm not entirely sure um, what Leverkusen would be kind of hoping for at the start of this season but if you're probably to ask them if they're kind of just pushing for top four spot, um, they'd probably be perfectly happy with that. Um, I think any suggestion of them as title contenders would have been quite ambitious. Um, you know, I think Peter Bosch has put a fantastic squad together. Um, tactically, they're just tremendous. Um, you know, so well drilled as well. I think they actually, and I kind of ran the bit away, they made a great point of that in the recent Dortmund game, and they kind of underlined the kind of issues between this well-coached team and the Dortmund side that weren't very well-coached at the time and potentially maybe still are. Um, but 
I do think that the kind of way that we're seeing them behave in the January transfer window this uh, over the last couple of weeks, I have had some suspicions that this has kind of been a case of the club saying, okay, um, you know, we gave it a go. Um, we kind of uh, entertained some thoughts of maybe challenging for the title for a few weeks. Bayern put us back in our place. Let's get back to business and try to put together a squad for next season. Uh, I'm not suggesting that they're obviously just down tools and they've given up for this season, not that at all. Um, but you can kind of see the kind of cogs working in the background here of them putting together players that, you know, we need a backup winger next season. Uh, we're going to need a right back because, you know, if I'm not mistaken, three of the, of the four they have available are either retiring or contract expiring or loans are expiring next season. Um, and obviously they need their centre back slash right back as well. Um, so it, it this doesn't the kind of business that we've seen in January doesn't really strike me as a team that are kind of recruiting to push on and continue a title challenge. It kind of strikes me as a team that are just kind of continuing a really good job that they've done as being a very well uh, run football club. I mean they've always they've always done a very good job of putting together squads um, as long as they have the right manager in charge. Um, and I think that's kind of been the case as well. Um, but this will be the case the, the case going forward. Um, I don't know if that's maybe a little too mean. I don't know if Manu disagrees with that. Maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm just being a little pessimistic on Leverkusen, but it does strike me that they're now beginning to revert back to that long-term thinking rather than getting ahead of themselves and hoping that they might be able to challenge for the title this season. Yeah, well, well Stefan, I feel at this moment we, we should probably ask um, about uh, Leverkusen's new addition to the squad. Um, they're signing from uh, Celtic. Because you probably know a thing or two about him. I do, yes. I've been covering him at Celtic for the last two or three seasons. Uh, I once actually did an interview with him once and he refused to take chewing gum out of his mouth, which drove me insane, uh, but uh, in a very crowded Celtic uh, Celtic store, uh, which is obviously has nothing to do with what's happening right now, so I'll, I'll move on from that. But um, yeah, Jeremy Frimpong, he's, he's a very exciting player. Um, you know, Celtic signed him from Manchester City in the deadline day um, a few seasons ago, I believe. And he's kind of, he's done well at, at points at Celtic, but he's, he's by no means a finished product. Um, he kind of burst onto the scene at Celtic as being, you know, very, um, very, very quick player uh, and a very, very uh, impressive dribbler of the ball as well. Um, and that did him very well at Celtic to a point. Um, he, he was played at right back. Um, there was one particular cup final against Rangers when, uh, he was kind of shown up as being very naive defensively, and this season the kind of um, you know the kind of shines came off a little bit because there's been an, a, perhaps a stronger reliance on him to kind of dig in and pull out performances and really become this kind of wing back uh, that Celtic thought he was going to become. And unfortunately, he's not really quite there yet. He's a very very raw player. To be perfectly honest with you, he's got a player with a huge amount of potential, and I think he's a player that. Peter Bosch will, you know, um, know exactly how to mould and you'll know exactly what you want to do with him. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see where he actually ends up playing for Leverkusen because there are some suspicions, particularly at Celtic, that he was actually best played as a right winger uh, at times purely because of how, off, how, how, how rarely he enjoyed actually defending. So, um, you know, they've obviously brought in Gray as a backup winger, but I do wonder if maybe for Pogba, could potentially end up being a long-term replacement for, uh, you know, Bailey if he was to move on, for example, um, because he he's, he's very good going forward. Uh, his final ball can certainly do with some improving, but he's, he's a kind of traditional wing-back that 
maybe is actually better suited as a winger. So we'll see what happens with him. But I've got every I've got every um, belief that at Leverkusen under a very good coach and a very good system, they would probably be able to get the best out of him. Well, thanks for the insight, Stefan. It, it sounds like they may have a rather exciting uh, young player on their hands there. Um, while Leverkusen's form has blown hot and then cold, one man has been in red-hot form all season. Kimmich, lovely pass. Lewandowski wants it. Can Coman find him? Nice feet. Good ball off Bauman. Here's Lewandowski. And there is his goal. Disappointment for Sebastian Hernes, a very preventable goal from their perspective. But once again, Robert Lewandowski in just the right spot. Yes, Robert Lewandowski netted his 24th of the season in Bayern's 4-1 victory over Hoffenheim. That's right, 24. Yeah. Um, Manu, um, well, <laughs> you know, the, the big question is, do you see him taking Gerd Muller's uh, goal-scoring record? It, it looks like it could be on the cards. Yeah, it, it looks like it, especially because Gerd Müller at this stage, when he had his record-breaking goal-scoring season, scoring 40 goals in 71-72, at this stage, Gerd Müller was at 18 goals. Lewandowski is now at 24. I, I personally think the only thing that's going to stop Lewandowski from getting the record is an injury, possibly COVID. Um, I just can't see him not get it. The goal-scoring rate that he's on at the moment is incredible. And it seems like that he is just getting better and better with age. He reminds me a little bit of um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic in, in that regard, that despite him getting older, you don't get the sense that he's getting any worse. He's getting just better and better. And I think a lot of it has to do with his with his lifestyle. And his wife, of course, um, she's, she's a former karate pro and... Um, is now a personal trainer, and they, they they're very meticulous about his lifestyle, right? And I, I think it's showing. I think this is this is the sort of player who Lewandowski is still going to break goal scoring records in three, four, five years, which is of course very good news for Bayern Munich, very bad news for the rest of the league, and probably bad news for anyone else in Europe as well because he's he's scoring just for fun now, and I'm I'm pretty convinced he's going to get that record. And I personally thought growing up, you growing up in Munich, you know. Um, hearing about Gerd Müller and the record that he's broken and all those records that he holds now, I didn't think I would ever see them broken. But we're there now. It, it could happen this year. This year could be the year that someone will break Gerd Müller's unbelievable goal-scoring record. And I think Lewandowski is probably the one that deserves it the most. He's a generational striker and the, pro- the best player in the world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's in red hot form, and it doesn't seem to be changing, does it? He he just seems to be getting better and better, as you said, um, Stefan. It it seems you know with um, Bayern you know, falling out of the Pokal, uh, also losing to uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. It seemed like there may have been a few issues there, a few cracks, but they they seem to have been completely uh, well sealed over now. <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, I thought. Uh, Saturday's game was actually quite a good microcosm of maybe Bayern's season as a whole. Um, you know, I thought the first half was actually quite cagey. I thought Hoffenheim gave a really good example, uh, you know, of themselves. I thought Bebe in particular could have scored two goals in the first half, if not for some fantastic goalkeeping from Manuel Neuer, which seems to just happen every single week. Um, you know, it's not just Lewandowski at one end of the pitch who's putting in fantastic performances. It's also Neuer down the other end as well. 
Um, but then, you know, after maybe about 50, 60 minutes, Hoffenheim run out of steam. And to make matters worse, Hansi Flick can just throw a Leroy Sani on and, you know, the job's done. And on paper, it's a very convincing win for Bayern Munich. Um, it's it's very interesting because obviously people will be looking at the Bundesliga table and they'll see Bayern top and they'll think, oh, well, you know, same old, same old. But there are still some issues under under the surface, which I'm intrigued to see how they play out over the rest of the season. Um, you know, the German media are kind of running with this story about whether Flick will stay at the club this season, uh, at the end of the season, if you'll get on with the sporting director once uh, Roman Egger leaves. Um, you know, what's going to happen with David Alaba? Why isn't Hernandez starting? Uh, things like this. What's happening with Javi Martinez, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to be, to be perfectly honest with you, these kind of strike me as very minor issues that may kind of snowball into bigger ones. But for the most, it seems to be working for Bayern. I, I still have a concern over their defensive record, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I think if they didn't have the best goalkeeper in the world, uh, they would probably be far uh, I think Leipzig would be right up there next to them, if not ahead of them, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and for the most part, it does strike me as almost like individual talent seems to be getting fired through this. Um, as Manu said earlier in the episode there, whether that can continue to be the case when, uh, you know, they start playing extra competitions. Now, this Club World Cup, they'll obviously have the Champions League, which will distract them as well, which may allow some of the other teams to kind of catch up with them. But it, it strikes me as though they are just kind of rumbling on from one week to the next. They have simply just got enough quality to kind of just grind most of these teams down. Um, and I don't really see that changing anytime soon, even if it means they do continue letting in easy goals every week. I find that Hansi Flick story really interesting, Stefan, because um, you know this, I'm, I'm very close to the club and I have a very good ear on what's happening there. And that's been brewing for quite some time. Um you know, the, the inner rumblings, the, the whole dynamics of the board are quite fascinating with, with Hassan Salihamidzic and his role and it being seen very controversial by not just board members, but also by the coaching staff and, and people that work in and around the club and are close to the club and have an ear on it as well. And it's it's interesting how this new generation, and we have to remember Oliver Kahn is, of course, getting in there too and will have a decisive role on reshaping the club and moving it forward. And it's really interesting to see how these dynamics have played out because Hansi Flick, of course, rescued Bayern Munich last year. And that's without a doubt because he put together the squad, right? And then lost a key player in Thiago and didn't get a replacement, even though he asked for one. He didn't get the right back he asked for. He wanted Sehino Dest. You know, they gave him um, Bunasar, who has been a super signing by the least. You know, this, this, this whole loan signing army that Bayern Munich have been relying on heavily ever since Hasan Salihamidzic has taken over. We remember, of course, and I think this is something that we also have to think back on. Philippe Coutinho was actually quite a big part of this club winning the Champions League, right? Um, even though if he did just come off the bench. And I think that Flick is pretty dissatisfied about the players that have come in. But then on the other hand, you have Hasan Salihamidzic saying, well, you're not bringing out the best out of the players that I'm giving you. So there is a huge disagreement between those two sides. The one side saying is like, well, why are you not doing more with the players that I'm giving you? And then they flick saying, well, this is the players that you're giving me are just not good enough, you know, and I'm not getting the talent replaced that I need. Yeah, I think I think I, I totally agree with you. I do find it very interesting. I think this 
you could maybe even focus this right down to the kind of Hernandez situation, a player who the club signed for an enormous amount of money. Um, and he can't seem to get any kind of luck. I know he's obviously played some amount of minutes for the team, but it's usually in place of someone who's been out injured. And from an outsider's point of view, I find it really interesting that Flick is sticking with, um, obviously, David Alaba, who's now all but confirmed that he's leaving in the summer. Jerome Boateng, who hasn't been given a new contract. There was a whole saga over whether he's going to be given a new contract with the coach sometimes saying something differently from Salihamovic. Um, Oliver Kahn as well saying different things. Rumenig is saying different things. And this is obviously kind of classic FC Bayern, you know, um, FC Hollywood, I guess, the better term for it, as, as the old kind of joke goes. But there is, the, it does strike me as, and I'm, I'm definitely just reading between the lines here. I don't really have any inside information here, but just reading between the lines strikes me as you're totally right. It's almost as if Flick is trying to make a statement with the players that he is picking, um, because if he was in sync with Salihamovic, it would make perfect sense if the club were to say, okay, thanks, David Alba, for all your help. But, you know, going forward, we probably should start trying to transition Hernandez into your position since you're leaving and he's burning a hole in our pocket with the amount of money we pay him every week. So, and, and, and maybe even to the extent Boateng as well. I know Boateng's been a great servant for the club, as is Alba. I don't think either have been particularly fantastic this season. So it's not as if they're both in tremendous form uh, and they're just keeping Hernandez and whoever else at the team due to that. So my only real, the conclusion I can then draw from that, which again could be me taking two and two and getting five, is that Flick simply isn't happy with the fact that the club signed Hernandez in the first place. Uh, and he's not happy with the backup players that he has as well uh, to hand. So I, I, I think it would be really interesting to see what happens in the summer because obviously once Romanega moves on, the two of these people are going to have to work in tandem or Flick will simply say, well, I can't, I can't you know, deal with this guy. I'm going to move on. And then, um, and then maybe that's when someone like uh, Julian Nagelsmann enters stage right. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one because too, um, the transfer businesses that have been done have been heavily criticized by the media as well, right? And Lucas Hernandez is is one that has been heavily criticized. He's a player that was signed for 80 million euros, you know, by some accounts, maybe the most expensive defender in the world, um, depending how you calculate the, the Van Dijk fee on the Hernandez fee, right? There's, there's some debate about that, but very expensive signing. And then you have essentially Alfonso Davies play left back and probably the signing of the century for Bayern Munich. And um, that, that fell into Hassan Salihamidzic's lap, you know, and that's been kind of rescuing Hassan Salihamidzic as well, that the fact that they signed him for 10 million euros from the Vancouver Whitecaps and no one knew about him and is now, you know, the high, most highest rated uh, by value uh, left back in the world. And I think that that shows you quite a bit about the, the dynamic that is going on because obviously Flick trusts that Alaba Davies left pink left wing pairing because that's kind of what it is isn't it uh, and it has given him a lot of success and might still give him a lot of success until the end of the year and i think he's sort of showing a point saying like well if we hadn't wasted all our money on hernandez we could have maybe afforded keeping a lava who was fulfilling all those roles anyways so yeah the power dynamic is just super fascinating in the moment and it's really hard to say how it's going to play out and Stefan, just um, quickly to talk about uh, Bayern have an upcoming uh, competition in Qatar. Yes, the FIFA Club World Cup. Are you a little bit surprised that this is going ahead? I mean, during COVID times, it's 
you know, and the, and the I, I suppose the compression of the league season. Do you think it's a bit unnecessary? Well, to shoehorn Scottish football back into this com- this podcast for a moment, um, I actually have a recent example of how this could go catastrophically wrong because during the winter break in the Scottish Premiership, Celtic opted to go to Qatar um, for their kind of winter break. Um, and not only did they come back to the country um, under a wave of criticism, not only from their own fans, but from obviously rival fans and even the Scottish government itself, but they also ended up with a few players actually contracting the disease. And I think for, for at least one game, 10 of their players had to miss out um, because obviously once one player catches it, the rest of them have to isolate. Um, so, you know, I think there's probably quite a lot of um, Bayern fans who'd have an issue with, you know, the club's um, partnerships with certain groups in the Middle East to, to you know, just from, from the get-go. Uh, but also this competition in particular, um, it, it does strike me as almost little unnecessary. But there's obviously a huge bit of politics at play here with FIFA and UEFA. And, um, and, and you could probably argue that Bayern will be soon jet-setting across Europe for the Champions League anyway. So what's the difference between that and going to, um, you know, Qatar? But it's it's... It's it's very hard to take these things in isolation um, with without considering the, the situation the whole world's in at the moment. And obviously, if you want to take it down to a human level, um, you know these players have to travel when perhaps they're not entirely comfortable with it. And there's obviously the huge risk of them actually contracting the disease, uh, which would not obviously be horrible for them, but it could also end up being a disaster for Bayern if they have to go potentially ten days or even longer without a huge chunk of their squad. And Manu, just to uh, finish up, really, um, George M. Lowe was um, watching the Bayern game. Um, have you got any update for us on uh, Thomas Muller uh, and Musiala? Well, you know, the, the decision as to which nation he may play for? <laughs> Joachim Löw, um, yeah, he's he didn't want to comment on Thomas Muller. I think even he realizes that that was probably the worst decision he's made in his entire coaching career, not to no longer nominate Thomas Muller. And it will be hard for him to go back on that decision. I think we all see Thomas Muller and the way he's playing football at the moment, his partnership with with Robert Lewandowski. Um, it's 10, go- 10 goals and 9 assists now. Match day, again, we're match day 19. Um, oh, sorry, 18. He's he's been fantastic and he's been fantastic for for more than a year now under Hansi Flick and it's really hard to to think that he might never play for Germany again which is such a shame and I think Joachim Löw would be well served to jump over his own shadow and uh, bring back Müller maybe one player that could fill the the void left by Müller is actually playing for Bayern that's Jamal Musiala I, I see a lot of shades of Thomas Müller in him. Um, you know, a lot of players around the world get compared wrongly with Thomas Müller. I think in his case, there is actually quite a lot to it. They're, they're very eerily similar. The question is, will he play for Germany, right? And and that's a good question. I think the Germany camp has now understood that they might have to be proactive about this, nominate him for the March fixes, nominate him for the first team, show him that he's not just one for the youth teams, but one for the senior team right away. And I think that might go a long way in convincing him to do it. And you have to also remember who he plays with, right? He plays with half the German national team day in and day out. And we have seen the power of what can happen with these German national team players trying to convince one of their colleagues to do the right thing. Leroy Sané is a great example who was convinced by basically the half the Bayern squad and when they were playing for Germany to that they should make the right that he should make the right decision. 
uh, and move to Bayern. And I think Jama Musiala is probably getting some very convincing words by Hansi Flick, the entire coaching staff. Serge Gnabry is working on it. Kimmich is working on it. You know, Thomas Müller, even though he's in conflict, he will probably tell him what to do as well. And I think that is probably a massive ace up the sleeve that Joachim Löw has. And um, that's probably putting him a little bit ahead of Southgate at the moment in terms of calling him up. And I personally think Jama Musiala, he's born in Stuttgart, has a German mom, Nigerian father. Um, you know, he's playing for Bayern Munich. When you play for Bayern Munich and you're born in Germany, you play for Germany, period. Done, you know, but we'll see what his decision will be. Yes, we will. Well, that more or less uh, does it for the podcast uh, this week. Um, Stefan, thank you so much for coming in, uh, filling uh, Chris's shoes. Um, hopefully we can get you on the podcast again soon. It was an absolute pleasure, guys, and I'd be more than welcome to join anytime. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Uh, and from uh, Manu and I, um, and Stefan, um, we'd just like to say thank you for tuning in once again. Um, there's Pokal Games uh, midweek, which you can obviously tune in and enjoy. Otherwise, we will be back uh, with you after the next match day very soon. Uh, I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. I'll feed us in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.